All right, everybody, and welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, we have the founder of Working Against Gravity, Adi. Now, Adi and I speak about a variety of different subjects, including what it's like with new motherhood, how her and her husband, Michael, retain a great relationship, what it's been like to develop Working Against Gravity, how the name was started, and what her career or her athletic career looked like through CrossFit and Olympic weightlifting. I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you do as well. Sit back, enjoy this show, leave us a rating and review, and let's keep getting after it. Have a great day. My question for you is, you said that Michael, your whole family got COVID, but Michael lost his taste of smell and his taste. And so as people who are so in on like working against gravity, food, nutrition, um, what was that like losing the taste, uh, his taste and smell? And then has he gotten it back? Because I've talked to so many people who have gotten COVID and there's so many, a variety, variety of, um, you know, things that happened to him. Luckily for you and your baby, it was asymptomatic, but for him losing his taste and smell, I imagine that's kind of tough. So is he back to normal now or no? He's back to normal. And, uh, it only lasted like 10 days. Um, and he thought like, oh, I'm not, I'm only going to like not eat great things because I can't taste and smell it, but he just ate like normal. And like, he could feel the like feeling that your tongue gets when it eats something salty, but I couldn't taste it. So he was getting like the different sensations. It was interesting. It was, it was frustrating too. <laughs> I'm really, it's really crazy because you guys are a lot more in tune with nutrition than probably most people are. And so I imagine for him, it was probably really unique because he probably was sensing things he hadn't sensed before because he couldn't really taste or smell. But, you know, you would think that if you lose your taste and smell, you would really focus on eating like, so let me ask you this. If someone lost their taste of, uh, and smell and they, and they had to eat like, the healthiest foods on the planet, and they couldn't even taste what they tasted like. What would they be eating, um, in your opinion? Oh my God, anything like as little processing as possible. Vegetables, meats, if, you're, if you eat beet, um, like grass-fed dairy, um, nuts, seeds, just anything that like grows you could find in the world and isn't in a box or packaging. That would be yeah. like, I think that's like, my general rule of thumb and I'm, I, people know me as like a neutral person. I think there's always exceptions to the rules, but in general, I think that you can't go wrong with that. Yeah. You know, I get asked the question all the time, like diets and nutrition. I think you just said it best, right? It's like, everybody's looking for the secret sauce, but I think the point you're trying to make is eating real food, less processed food is the way to go. And so I want to dive into this, uh, you know, working against gravity. So you own, um, a, a, a very large, uh, nutrition, would you call it like a nutrition coaching, nutrition mentoring company? Is that the best way to describe it? Yeah. I mean, we've had new things that we sell. So it's kind of, it's become longer how we describe it. Um, we coach people one-on-one to help achieve their nutrition goals. And then we also help people become nutrition coaches. And then um, we have a software that people can use to create their own nutrition business. That's really cool. And so what is working against gravity? Like, how'd you come up with the name? Oh my God. It's a terrible story. It's not a great story. Um, I was a, I had a master's degree yeah. in teaching and my final project was to create an e-portfolio to be, apply for teaching jobs. 
but I wasn't going to apply for teaching jobs. So I asked my professor if I could make a website that was going to document what I was going to do for the next year. And I was just going to take a year off to be a weightlifter. That was like what I was going to do. And I wanted it to be defyinggravity.com. It was going to be a blog and it was going to be defyinggravity.com because I love the play Wicked. And one of my favorite songs is Defying Gravity. And I feel like when you're doing snatch and clean and jerk, it like looks like you're defying gravity in a way. Um, and that was taken. So I was just like doing some Googling and there's a scientific formula for work against gravity. Like there's just, and I thought it was cool. And that was like the cover photo of my blog. And I just made it working against gravity.com. And it didn't, it wasn't a business at the time. Right. It was a blog. So once the blog turned into a business, it was like, People were already calling us Team Wag. They were like already was a thing. So it was too much work to change it. So really working against gravity, I, I guess in a way, kind of got started as a correlation to weightlifting. Would you say that? I mean, because I, I get that totally, you know, because you really are working against gravity when you're talking about snatching a heavy bar. That's a really, I didn't know that there was that correlation. I, I, I saw that you wrote that for your, your master's degree but I didn't realize I didn't put two and two together. So that's awesome. And then it just stuck, huh? You just went with it. Yeah. I mean, I it's, it would be a lot of work to change it right now, I think. And it's just not worth it. Yeah. So how'd you get into weightlifting? Um, through CrossFit. Yeah. I, in 2008, I had a, I had a boyfriend who did like bodybuilding workouts he did, I did just started getting into working out. I just lost it like 40 to 50 pounds. And my boyfriend was doing like back by chest, try shoulders, legs at the, at the college gym. And so I would follow him around the gym and I would just copy what he was doing. Cause I would go to the gym and be like, what do I do here? Like, I have no idea what to do. So I just copied him. And then he started getting annoyed that I would copy him. And he's like, you know what? There's this website, crossfit.com. They post a workout every single day, just like do what it says on the website. So I started just doing the website workout at the college gym and I would watch like the videos that explain the movements and they had like the whole workout log, like in the old yeah. HQ website. Um, and then I remember I started, um, I, I didn't go to an actual CrossFit gym until the next year until I switched uh, colleges and it just like, I think my first ever CrossFit workout in a CrossFit gym was a CrossFit total. And I just happened to like deadlift 200 pounds. And the guy at the gym was like, Whoa, that's like a lot. Like that's a lot. You're super strong. And he just kind of motivated me in the strength area and people just gravitate towards things they're better at. Um, I was always better at the strength aspect of CrossFit versus the, um, the like pain cave. Like Michael works out with me and he like, like you, like that you go into like a different place in your mind and the place in my mind I go to is like, this hurts. Like I'm, I want to rest. I think I'm going to rest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so you got, so that's a really interesting way to get introduced to CrossFit. Like you're falling around your boyfriend. You just lost, you know, 50 pounds plus. And it's like, Hey, you know, I don't want you following me anymore. Go look at this website. And you know, CrossFit.com back then I, I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm very familiar with it. It wasn't like, super intuitive. I mean, you had to kind of pay attention. Like here's a workout. There was a comment section, you know, you'd put female 180 or whatever you put, and then you put your score and it was very like kind of grassroots community based back then. I mean, it still is today, but it was very different. Um, and so as you started to get into it and you started doing your CrossFit total, which is, that's a great first experience. If you like to weightlift, 
um, what made you, I mean, so then you gravitated towards oily lifting. Why not powerlifting? And then, and then how deep did you get into oily lifting over the next couple of years? Um, I, I just thought oily lifting was more fun. Like, it's just so fun. I, it's just, I got obsessed with like watching people. I would sit, I, I can't even believe like in retrospect, you do like these things that at the time just seemed so normal, but now I'm like, seems literally insane that I used to sit and watch the world championships of weightlifting, my weight class, I would watch the entire session just by myself, like sitting and watching YouTube. And I would never do that right now. And I was just obsessed with it. I thought it was the coolest thing. It's like artistic, it's dynamic. It was more, um, it seemed more athletic to me than powerlifting, which I don't think is necessarily true. It just seemed that way at the time. It's just faster, explosive. Um, Yeah, it was more fun for me. So um, I just liked it and I want I think it's like uh, part of me, it's like a little bit of my ego. Like it's just cool. It looks yeah. cool. It is throw cool. a lot of weight over your head. You know, it's, it's funny because I want to talk about two things. One is watching weightlifting is really interesting because it is so, what I like about it is that you get three lifts and there's a lot of pressure. It's all on that person and it's make or break and they can't go back down and wait. And so it's really interesting because what are they going to start at? What's their PR? Are they going to go for it? And they only get three attempts. And um, it's, it's really cool to watch people break through the mental block of being on a stage by themselves, especially when you watch like the youth do it. It's pretty cool when you're watching some of the youth events, how they have to kind of mentally prepare for that. But I want to talk um, this idea that you said nowadays you would never see yourself doing that. And, yeah. you know, I think back to like, for me, I competed in CrossFit for a long time and, and I would watch the regionals um, and I'd watch my competitors and I would watch how they move and I'd watch their times and I would be very, very focused on this. And now when I think about it, I just wouldn't ever do that. And I, part of me thinks like, it's like an evolution, right? And so now you have a child, right? Um, How old is he? He's 11 months, 11 months shy. Mm -hmm. shy. Yeah. And so, how have you evolved? So like, look at yourself, maybe, um, I don't know, 2008 was, let's just call it 12, 13 years ago. And then boom, you're really into weightlifting. And then, but now, like, what has your journey been as an athlete? Because what are your kind of goals from a fitness perspective now, having a baby versus back then? I'm curious. Yeah, it's so different. I mean, <laughs> I did, I started CrossFit and I loved CrossFit. I, I did so, I like competed in the first open ever like the one that was right after it was sanctionals and mm-hmm. it was the first open ever I competed. I like tried really hard. I think that was my best placing ever. And then I was like, screw it. I'm going to do just weightlifting. Um, I competed in weightlifting for the next five years. I think I ended up winning a bronze medal at the national championships in Canada. And then I think I probably would have continued, but at the time I was living in Santa Cruz and I was training a hundred percent by myself. So I wasn't with a team. I wasn't, I loved at my early years of training for weightlifting. I truly felt like I was a professional athlete. I was going three times a week from seven to 11 PM at this, uh, university gym in like the dungeon in the basement. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I was with this like Hungarian coach who yes. had a big stick and he would whip us with it. And he would like, I had these mirrors that like he would set up so we could watch ourselves from different angles. And it was just, grueling training and there was seven of us and we just 
would get into this like flow of like, okay, we would just naturally know whose turn it was to lift. And I felt like I was truly being treated like a professional athlete. And when I went to Santa Cruz and I was training by myself, like completely alone, no team, like I was sending my coach videos. It just, I lost the motivation to keep training that hard. I think it's so incredible when people can train at that high of a level, that intensely alone. It's just, it's not in my nature. Like I, I'm a, I'm externally motivated by, by pressure externally. I need the energy that's there. created in a room is, is, and I want to hear more about this, but I, I agree with you. You know, when, when we would have training partners, there's something about being like in a class environment or a group environment, or even in your garage with like two or three other people that there's like, um, it's almost like there's a, a veil of energy that's created and you don't even need to talk about it. It's just like something you feel and it's surrounding you. And so pivoting from this Hungarian guy with the bamboo stick, which I could just visualize it now. And I love that. The mustache so too. Yeah, this oh, like intense mustache. I love that. And then going by yourself. So, so then you, you move to Santa Cruz and you're training alone. The environment isn't the same. And, and so what happens next? Um, I mean, I met Michael at this point yeah. and we're like madly in love and we're starting our life together. And he's like, I call, I joke calling him a has-been, like he's a retired CrossFitter. So, um, he's, you know, he's working out, but he's not trying to be competitive in anything. So it's hard when I'm alone, like entirely alone. Even my partner is not in the same lifestyle. It's hard to really do that. So, and then working against gravity started taking off at the same time. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to focus on this business thing and then work out just to feel good. So I would just, I went back to doing CrossFit at that time, just doing CrossFit to feel good. Um, I had a stint in there where I was on a grid league team. Oh yeah. In the moment. What team were you on in the grid league? I was on the Baltimore Anthem with cloak off. With cloak off. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh Man, hey, is Klokov as crazy in person as he seems on social media? Is he, I mean, just not, not crazy. I shouldn't use that term. Like just overly strong and just. Oh my God. He got crushed in the grid because he, I think like the week before he had thrustered like 415 pounds or something. And then he had to do this event um, where it was like uh, 10 thrusters, 10 thrusters, 10 thrusters. And the next event he had to do power snatches at 225, which literally Klokov can muscle snatch 225. Right. He doesn't even have to try. And he got so messed up from the thrusters. He failed the final 10 thrusters. And I think it was at like 275 or something. It was so painful to watch. And he sat down on the bench next to me and he's like, had hands over his head. And he's like, oh no, I cannot do this. <laughs> it it just goes to show the different energy systems and how people work it. And, and so you're on the grid league, which is, which is great. The grid league was such a um, short-lived moment in, in CrossFit history. Um, mm -hmm. But you guys, so did you and Michael from the beginning start working against gravity? Or it was your thing and then you met Michael? Is that the way it worked? Yeah, so I had working against gravity and he had brute strength. And we started those separately, honestly, at the exact same time. And then we met six months later. Got so it. Later we met, and then once we met, we were really like helping each other out a lot. So behind the scenes, he didn't start actually working with working against gravity until 2017. So like two and a half years later, but he he we that's all we did. Like we, we he wasn't competing anymore. I was dwindling out of competing, and 
uh, we were focusing 100% on work. So talk me through uh, work. So working against gravity, you know, I've watched the journey for a while and I've really, I, I love watching uh, entrepreneurs and people build businesses. I think it's really fascinating because it's like, I, I, I'm sure this is the case for you. You look back five, 10 years ago and you wish you knew now what you are, you wish you knew then what you know now, right? And there's so much evolution. And when you look at your team, like I'm on the Team WAG website right now, it's, it's, it's pretty robust and you've pivoted into different verticals, right? So you started one-on-one. Now you're saying, hey, you have certification process. You then even have software for other people to create their own programs. And so like what, what has created this opportunity, I guess, when I did this episode recently on doors opening and doors closing in business where there's a lot of doors that start to open, you know, which ones to run through and which ones to kind of not run through. And from my experience, sometimes we've taken, we've said yes to too many things and we should have said no to more things. So I want to ask you that, like along the journey, what has been a sign that you maybe shouldn't have taken these opportunities because it was just too much for the team at the time or which ones have you taken that have just been game changers? Um, from a business perspective? Yeah, um, I think I err more on the side of like not taking the opportunity. I err more on the side of saying no to everything. Okay. Um, And I just work better. My personality is like a very focused personality. So I, I like my unique genius would be to like really focus on one thing and do one thing really, really well. Um, I like break it apart, put it back together, break it apart, put it back together. the things that we ended up creating, they, they weren't like, they weren't um, like an idea that we then brought to fruition. It was like our certification. We were getting a lot of, we were having to onboard new coaches to, in order to maintain the capacity because we were getting a lot of signups for clients. So we created the certification for internal purposes. Right. We were training our own staff through that certification process. And then once we reached a place where, okay, we weren't having this like exponential growth anymore, we're like more plateaued, we figured out how to manage capacity a little bit better, but we're still getting applications for people to wanna become coaches, we don't have jobs for them. So we thought, why not just like sell them the certification that we created? It was more like that versus, I had lots and still have lots of, it's actually hilarious that the way that people email you to like offer you opportunities, they like make little videos of themselves with your name or they come up with super creative ways to try and get your attention. Um, I usually just honestly don't even open them and just it, it, I don't know. There's like a balance between like coming up with an idea and it's just, I'm not the coming up with the idea person. I'm the, like someone has an idea and I take it and run with it. Um, it's just not my, in my nature, but I think I try to just what I call, um, I'm a huge, like Michael Singer fan. Who's, uh, um, I don't know what you would call him like a philosopher or, um, spiritual teacher. Uh, he talks about like surrendering to the flow of life and just like, not trying to like make things happen or resist things that are happening, just kind of like going with it and like path of least resistance. And I feel like my, the things that have come up in my life or just that it's like happening and whether it's good or bad, it's just happening. Yeah. There's that flow. I, I, I totally hear what you're saying about um, your coaching product it being like you built it for yourself and you saw an opportunity. And so then the, like the, the market, like to your point, right. The, the universe was saying, Hey, this is something that we need to put out there because people are asking for it. So let's go do it. And so your team has grown 
So how many people are on the WAG team now? Um, it depends if you like how you categorize it, but um, anywhere from 20 full-time employees to 40, including part-time and contractors and stuff. And then do you manage a lot of them or does Michael manage most of them or who does, who actually, have you found that, so you're the founder, right? CEO. And have you found that you're also a good manager or are you not, or, or is that not a strong suit and someone else does that? I think my, I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. My leadership style, I think it's because I never intended to be a leader. Like I didn't, I, I didn't say like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be the leader. I actually like sharing responsibility. I don't love when all the responsibilities on me, like I have to make all the decisions. I then have, I want other people to make decisions like completely outside of me. I love when things get decided and done and I had nothing to do with it. And even if they make a mistake, it's kind of like I could have made that mistake if it was me. So um, the way that we work is we have, I guess you would call them functions and we have leaders of each function and no decision is made unilaterally at all. So it's kind of like we're managing ourselves. It's very autonomous culture. We expect people, we have ways to monitor people's performance. We expect them to do their jobs. We can tell if they're not doing their jobs, but I'm not here to tell you how to schedule your time, when to do your job, when, like, I'm not here to micromanage your time at all. Yeah, that's a, that's a really different perspective. And I think you're, you're you really, that was, um, to say like, you didn't, you didn't seek to be the leader, right? Or the, you just kind of were creating a business. You were trying to share nutrition, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden it started to boom and snowball. And I think that's a really good realization you have, you know, leadership is really difficult. If it's even, you could take all the classes in the world you want, but like something I've had to learn the hard way is just management skills. Like I'm not, I don't really have those built into me. So other people on our team have to help with that. But I want to, I want to dive in this idea. So you and Michael, you guys, actually, before we even get there, you got off social media like six, five, six months ago. I, I received an email from you, like a <laughs> blog post or an email of some type. And I was like, dude, that's super cool. Um, and I'm curious, one would say you built your business through social media. Would that, is that a fair statement? Like because of social media, it helped grow your audience. Would, sure. would you, okay. Yeah. And then you decide your personal brand, which, you know, you've built a personal brand for sure in this space through weightlifting and CrossFit and being the ambassador and working against gravity, then boom, you turn it off. So mm-hmm. what made you decide to turn it off? Um, yeah. Well, I think when I was starting the business and it was happening through social media, I was loving being on social media. Like I loved it. I would be excited to get on there. I would be excited to document my life and share it and post every day and interact with people. And then recently, mostly since I had shy, I, you know, you have all these responsibilities in life and then you have this huge new layer of responsibilities that comes into your life. And I started to evaluate where am I wasting my time? Like where, where am I, or not wasting, where am I spending time? That's not serving me. And it's not, making my life easier. And then I just don't have like tons of space. I have lots of time to do whatever I want to do. So, but I'm assessing like, do I really want to be on social media? It started to feel like I was forcing myself to make something to post. Um, it started, I would, 
I would like get on there and then I feel like I would black out. And then all of a sudden I'd be like watching someone ice a cake somewhere somehow. (laughs) How did I I even get here? Yeah. 20 minutes later, you're like, Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even know how I got here. And I started to like, um, obsessively check it like whenever I was bored icing a cake yeah (laughs) like I'm going to answer a text message and I'm in social media somehow right 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 don't even know how I got here um and I started to start feel like my number one priority right now is my family for sure and I started to feel like I wasn't doing enough because I was on social media watching all these people do all these things and it just wasn't it wasn't feeling like good for me anymore Um, but I think if you enjoy being on social media, it's a great place to be. I just, I enjoy expressing myself. I enjoy writing. So I started writing some stuff on a blog, um, the casfamily.com. And, um, I, I still do the podcast with Michael, but I just, especially in the last year with, you know, social media is not for me. My feed is not like the most positive place. There's like a lot of cancel culture going on and a lot of um, extreme opinions. And I just kind of wanted to shelter myself from that. And I have a bunch of people in my life right now that are incredibly successful, like way more successful than me. And they do not ever go on social media. And so when I keep hearing people say, okay, you have, you need social media to be successful. I'm just like, our work still has a social media that I don't, I don't do, but that's, that's that. And I also think you can be successful without social media. I just, I have to believe that that's true. Yeah. You know, I, I, first off, I agree with everything you just said. And I think for me, that will be a um, evolution that I will take myself. Um, I don't know about in the near future, but in the future, for sure. Um, Because, because of the reasons you stated. And so for yourself, do you see yourself, getting back on platforms at any point or at this point you're what five three five months in whatever it may be and you're like nah you know what i don't see myself going back i don't see myself going back to instagram anytime soon um but like michael has a weekly newsletter that he does and so he started um doing this thing called soul searching adventures where he takes 10 men um on a backpacking trip and he teaches them wilderness survival skills and he does like some introspective work and he's had some like really, he j- just did uh, a week in the Grand Canyon. And like, wow. first of all, it's like just doing a week backpacking in the Grand Canyon alone is the most transformational experience ever. And then to do it with a group of men with the intention of understanding yourself better, as well as like learning wilderness survival skills, he sold out all his trips just from his newsletter. And he expresses himself in his newsletter. It's, it's funny. It's edgy. It's so him. And when I see him being able to do that, I see like ways of expressing myself that, that don't carry any of the, like the negativity where just because I think we have this bias, I think there's actually a name for this bias for human beings where we think if any, something has, I think it's called the any benefit bias where we think something has any benefit. So social media can keep you connected. It can give you ideas. It can give you inspiration. It can help you express yourself because it has any benefit. We think that it's good for us. Mm. But for me, like there's a lot of negatives for me in my life about social media where there's like comparison and uh, it makes me feel like I'm not 
doing enough or I'm wasting, like I'm, I'm watching things that are just absolutely not productive in any way, shape or form. Um, so just because it has some benefit, it just doesn't, it's not enough for me to compel me to get back there. But yeah, yeah I, I don't, I maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I, hey, I like it. I want to, I want to hear more. I'll, I'll talk to you more offline about Michael's, um, one of my goals, I definitely want to start exploring more of like outdoor survival skills. I mean, I, I've, I've developed some skills, like some of the things that are important to me, like jujitsu and a few other things, um, just from like my own personal well-being. I want to, I want to develop these skills more, but the idea of survival skills is really, is really cool because I think we've gotten really comfortable with having, you know, our, you know, Anyways, I want to be more comfortable being outdoors if I needed to be. Totally. Right? You should words. totally go on one of his trips. He would love yeah. that. And, and so I, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. So you had shy, you said six months ago. Is that right? 11 months ago. Excuse me. 11 months ago. And so coming up almost on a year. And, you know, the first year is it's, it's really interesting probably because you probably have more lessons learned in the last year than maybe your entire life by having a kid. And so... Shy came early and you were in the NICU for eight days, was it? Is that right? Eight days. Yeah. And so what was that experience like? Um, because I, I mean, everybody has this vision, right? You probably have this vision of what your birth process would look like, right? And I'm going to be at home and I'm going to do this or I'm going to be at the hospital. I'm going to do this and it's going to be all rainbows. And, and then all of a sudden this happens and it's probably not at all what you expected. Yeah. I mean, we literally planned a home birth oh, yeah. and, um, because in Texas, you can only have a home birth as of 37 weeks. And so I was 36 weeks in two days and I, I started having contractions and I'm like, Oh, they say this could happen for weeks. I've got time. I'm going to make it. I'm like in total denial. And then within 20 minutes, my water broke and I was in like complete active labor. And there was like, no way I wasn't going to, and we couldn't have the baby at home. Like there was no way. So it was, the experience was incredibly jarring, very like, whoa, I was still working. I was planning on taking two weeks off of work to prepare to have, have the baby. It just like <laughs> did not happen that way. Um, and I was in labor packing my hospital bag because I did, I had no intention to go to the hospital. Um, we ended up going to the hospital and within it was very quick like within nine hours he was here and um it was just like really shocking and when he came out he just um like his you could tell like when he's trying to breathe his lungs wouldn't stay inflated it was almost like his chest would like touch his back it like looked really scary at the time like when he was trying he didn't have enough surfactant in his lungs and so they they took him like within 30 minutes he was gone um and my placenta didn't come out. So that was like a whole other adventure. Um, it was very quick, very jarring. I think for the first, the, the eight days that I was there, for me, I just like went numb. I didn't, I, I, I remember sitting in the hospital room looking at Michael being like, I know I should be worried or I should be sad or I should be happy or I should be feeling something. And I'm actually just not feeling anything. I'm just like totally numb. And when I look back on it, I think it was like a survival mechanism. Like yeah. it's not, it's not, I had so much to do. Like I had to pump every whatever, however long I had to go walk to and from the NICU. I wanted to maximize on opportunities to be there. So he wasn't alone. And 
it just isn't productive or efficient to be feeling everything while you have so much to do. So yeah. I just like pushed it all down and was just numb for like a week. And then when you guys got out of the hospital, cause I, I, I have a idea of what that feels like, what you're, what you're talking about. Um, when you guys got out, did it all kind of hit you like a waterfall at some point? Yeah. I mean, we got home. It's crazy. I don't know if you had this experience from the NICU, but like these people are watching your kid for 24 hours. <laughs> kind of nice. Yeah. It's like almost nice. Built like, in babysitters. Yeah. 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 Like sleep a little bit, just a little bit. And they taught me how to, I'd never changed a diaper before. So they taught me all of the things. And then I'm home and I'm like, oh my God, we're a hundred percent responsible. Like every time he's like coughing or anything, I'm yeah. just, yeah. Like, cause in the NICU, you have the beeps. And it's like, if the beeps start going, like, is it, is it our machine or is it someone else's machine? And I didn't have the beeps to know if it was good or bad of what was happening. So there was definitely like a process of just chilling out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not many people, not everybody. And I, I hope no one for that matter has the NICU experience and especially when you have a brand new baby and there's so many emotions, but as the last year has gone on, and you get more comfortable as a parent, right? Like in the beginning, it's like any little thing kind of causes like you to like go crazy, you know, um, because you're just not very familiar, right? And then now as has a year gone on, how are you balancing? I, I know you took some time off from work, but assuming you're, I know you're prioritizing family as well. So have you been able to delegate more things because of having a baby now? Or did the team just step up? Or what is your role and responsibility in the company look like today versus before you had your baby? Um. I think that we prepared for almost a full year before I got pregnant of starting to mm. be like, we would ask questions like, Hey, what do you think a D would say in this scenario? And people trying to like anticipate how I would think about it. Um, people at our organization take on a lot of responsibility. Like they just take ownership over what they're doing. My role is to, be kind of like a support system for anybody that needs support. So, uh, and I do like the podcast and I help build some features in the software, but so we just like paused on creating new things that I was responsible for. And then now I'm still that support person. Um, I'm still helping with like, I guess like human resources, the people part of things. Um, I'm there when people need me, I can help make decisions, but I think I've always had like a good amount of space for that. You need space for that. Cause if yes. when someone needs support, you need to have the space to be able to show up for them. Yep. So um, now we do have uh, like childcare that helps us. Uh, we don't have family near here. So now I realize why people have babies near family. <laughs> oh man. It makes a huge difference. Right. So yeah. you, yeah. I mean, so have you guys, so have you and Michael been able to keep some type of like resemblance of date nights and stuff like that? Or is that just a, a non, a no go? No, every single Tuesday we have date yeah. night. Yeah. And so total shift from this conversation, but how have those been? Um, because my wife and I are, are, are huge believers in that as well. Um, and so how have those been for you guys? Are those a game changer? Uh, complete game changer. We are huge believers in sex regularly and date night. <laughs> like you got to have sex two to three times a week or if things tension just starts to build. And I'm like, you just, the way you're looking at me annoys me and you didn't even do anything wrong, but you annoy <laughs> me. 
something about you is annoying me. <laughs> and then you have sex and it's just like, oh my God, I remember, I love you. Yeah, you're, you're great. Um, and so the date nights, um, when did those start? Right after you had the baby? Like how, how quickly after the baby did you guys start it? It was right after, I mean, at the beginning, he's like sleeps pretty much the whole time. That was like so nice. He just right. sleeps like all day. So it was easy at the beginning. Now we do like a variety of different things. Like we've recently gotten really into rock climbing. So we'll take the baby to the rock climbing gym and we kind of just rock climb and he joins us. Or um, we have a bunch of friends that are about to get pregnant. So they're looking for extra baby time. Oh, so they come so and watch, watch the baby. Mm-hmm. Or we, we set up something at home when he goes to sleep. We'll just, we create like a, we have a specific room in our house that we'll like create, like make it a little different. We both get dressed up. We put a little bit of makeup on, like make it so it's special in a specific way. It's like Italian night. So maybe you'll put like a, like a whatever, like, you'll de- you'll decorate the room or no yeah totally oh, we, do, wow. we do all sorts of we're super weird in that way like we'll we dance sometimes we'll do um play a game we'll do like a meditation together we'll just do something that's different from the normal night at once a week at least at, every tuesday yeah that's super helpful you know um ashley and i we we we've been together for a really long time we met when we were 14 15 and one of the things that's been great for us is, is that same thing, especially um, when Ava got sick, that was one of the recommendations that the nurse gave us. And we've just kind of leaned into that ever since. I'm um, just kind of taking this one night where you're kind of adulting, right? Especially when you have multiple kids and there's just so much going on, kind of setting that aside. So super cool recommendation. I, I agree with you hundred percent. I hope more people can start doing that. Even if it's as simple as like, Hey, we're going to go for a glass of wine down here, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a hundred percent. I feel like your relationship is the foundation of your kids' lives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm curious what you think about that. Cause like a lot of, there is people who, so have you and Mike, have you guys decide like, Hey, it's going to be, our relationship needs to be strong to have a good fr- framework for the family. Is that basically the way it works? Yeah. 100%. And I like deeply love shy. There's like I would do anything for him. Like, there's just no question about that. And Michael's my person. Like, Shy is going to move out of the house one day. He's going to find his person and they're going to live happily ever after. Right. And Michael's still going to be there. Like, he's still going to be there when Shy's not there anymore. And like, that's my person. We're going to grow old together. This is the person I'm going to spend the most amount of time with of my whole life. Like, I can't not prioritize that relationship. It's just, he's, he's like the love of my life. I just, it's not the same. It's not the same. And I want to be a model of showing like, I feel like your kids learn so much from your interaction with each other. And just the feeling that like, when you have, you're in good space with each other, they feel that. Um, I really think babies like language before they can actually speak is touch and energy, just like they can feel the energy in the space. Wait, I bet you they feel energies in a completely different way than we do. Yeah. You sense when someone's looking at you, they probably feel it to a completely different way. And I think our relationship is the thing that they're around the most. So it sets their like nervous system up for the future. Yeah. They, they can sense the energy and you could sense that energy in a room as you get you know older, right? You feel the energy in the room. Like, oh man, this is, feels toxic or Hey, the vibes are right. Yeah. I totally get that. So what are the next steps for WAG? What are the next steps for the family? I mean, so Michael has his gigs he does for, you know, outdoors, which is great. You guys have, your business has obviously been thriving for 
you know, years now. Um, what's the next step? What do you guys got planned? Yeah. I mean, what's the next step? We are just continuing to make our current, we had the one-on-one coaching only for four years for four years. That's all we did. And that's, that feels like we're always improved. We have a good system for improving that the coach certification and the software we're still in its like early stages. And there's so much room for growth on, you know, helping businesses be successful, helping people become nutrition coaches and just, um, just making all of that more stable, better quality, taking more feedback and just, um, it feels like these three things are really, um, are really like centered in like what we want to do. Um, but I mean, I, we have tons of millions of ideas that we're not acting on anytime soon, but right now the focus is on just I told you, I'm a really focused person. Yeah. yeah. Focus is on taking these three things and making them just better. We're not like operating at our 100, even close to 100% best. It's when we look back on when someone's like, Oh, I took the certification in 2021. Um, we're going to be like, Ooh, it's way better now. I promise. Right. Right. That's awesome. Well, Adi, I've really appreciated talking to you. We've talked about a variety of different things. I know people can't find you on social media. So if they want to know more about working against gravity, uh, where should they go? What should they do? What's the plan? Working against gravity.com and at working against gravity on social media. Um, it's just, I mean, I have a social media. I just, you can see, I haven't posted in a while. Maybe I should, I don't know what you do with that. If you don't post. I'm just going to leave it for now. I think you should probably just leave it. I think people will just pick up on it. It's all good. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks, Adi, and I'll talk to you soon. Oh,